Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain, Captain Jace McKinney, and joining me for another discussion of this here Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Lieutenant Commander Eric and Lieutenant Commander David. How are you gents doing? Wow, okay. <laughs> that good, uh, huh? Yeah, uh, I'm doing quite well, right? I survived, you know, family gatherings, and now I'm okay because I'm home alone the way I like it. Mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's right. Here in here in the states, we uh, we just had um, this little thing called Thanksgiving, sweep the nation, uh, where we got to imbibe in assorted meats and side dishes, uh, for the most part. And uh, I'm glad that you survived, Eric. Congratulations on surviving. Yeah, you know, I had to go to a couple of different, different uh, Thanksgiving dinners, right? One, I went to one the Saturday before Thanksgiving with uh, the, my mom's new husband's family, right? Who I'm all just meeting for like the first time, right? I've met a few of them before now, but like when you go somewhere and there's like 20 people and you know like two of them, that's a little overwhelming. For sure. Right? And then, you know, on Thanksgiving, he just went to my brother and his wife's house. And there was just like, uh, not including, including their two kids. I think there were six of us. So it wasn't oh, wow. too bad. Oh, wow. Okay. How about you, David? How was your turkey day? Yeah, it was fine. No, it wasn't too bad. Eric, I, I don't know if we outstripped the uh, the record for silence uh, before. Uh, Chase, I'm going to have to ask you to keep a record of that from here on out, just so that we can, you know, try and outdo ourselves. I'll keep a uh, spreadsheet. But, yeah. No, I mean it was it was uh, it was a very uh, it was an interesting week. Uh, I do have some stories about this week, so buckle in. Uh, so Thanksgiving wasn't too bad. Um, Went out to my dad, saw him for a bit, went to my sister's, did that, uh, got really awkward with her new husband's parents because they asked who I was, and I said a stranger uh, because I like to mess with people. Um, of course And you then, did. you know, <laughs> and then I had to have my, my mother explain who I was. Uh, she's always in on my joke. She knows what I'm doing, but, um, you know, I just don't like new people. So yeah, I'm just a stranger. It's fine. But no, that was, it wasn't too bad. Uh, not bad at all. Also this week, uh, I don't think I, I don't think I share that with you, Chase, uh, but, uh, I did attempt to adopt a dog. Hmm. So went that? down to the humane society, uh, you know, to, to go, they had, um, it was a retriever, probably Irish setter mix by his color, and a really super friendly dog, very affectionate, but an absolute terror. Oh my God, this dog was insane. Uh, it actually locked me out of my house uh, when I was out on my normal sort of jog run. Uh, after I had just taken it out for a walk. So I took it out for a walk and then I went out for another half hour and it locked me out of the house, somehow caught the deadbolt. I had to call a locksmith. Uh, the local one wasn't picking up the phone. The, it was an entire debacle. I was locked out of my house for about two hours. Wow. Um, wow. 
<laughs> and then to add insult to injury, a guy finally did come after his company had told them that I called them to say I didn't need him anymore. So he turned around and then I called him and he had to turn back around, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it was, it was a whole debacle. And then this thing just not house trained. So booping everywhere, uh, tore up a bunch of stuff. Uh, it was, it was, um, it was pretty ridiculous. I couldn't trust this dog to save its life. Wow. Uh, so it was, it was like a week, like a week trial run sort of deal before you actually adopt. And so I, I had to take him back. I, I do not have the time for that needy a dog. And it was so anxious that it would just pace the house yeah. for literal hours until it just tuckered itself out and it just fell where it stood. You know? so. Yeah. <laughs> But maybe I'll try. Maybe I'll try again. Uh, I I would I would like an animal. I can't do cats. Super allergic to them. Uh, maybe I'll just get like a guinea pig or something. That'd be sick or some fish. <laughs> so fish, when we fish aren't fish aren't even pets. They're just like decorations. <laughs> They're accessories. You just you just watch them. <laughs> decoration. So when we uh, when we adopted um, a dog, gosh, what was that? year ago year and a half ago year ago yeah it was a year ago um almost two years good grief anyway um when we first got the dog they um they actually prescribed some anti-anxiolytics for the dog um so like this dog was like already wearing like a thunder jacket came with like anti-anxiety medication and um it was interesting, like, you know, like sticking the medication like in peanut butter and like feeding yeah. it to the dog and stuff like that. And then like later on, like, um, oh, what was it like heartworm medication? Like we had to give it to, but then things went south and people that know, if you know, you know, like things went south with the dog and we had to get rid of the dog eventually, like um, about two months later. Yeah, th this one was also on anti-anxiety meds, and it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Wow. And and had it was on some antibiotics too. So yeah, <laughs> beautiful dog, really nice. If you had like a hundred acres of land, it could just roam forever. It'd be fine. But sure, not here, not this time. Wow, wow. Okay. Eric, you got any got any uh, dog stories? I know you're a cat person, but you got I any, any dog stories? I I am a cat person. My uh, brother and his wife own two dogs, right? A 150-pound Great Dane and then a boxer that's built like a tank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, no, this is my mom. My mom cooked uh, two loaves of bread, right? Like fresh loaves of bread. She made them. And after after we had eaten dinner, we, we normally eat like around 1 or 2 o'clock. It's more like a Thanksgiving late lunch and then we went and sat outside on their back pat their back deck area right oh, had the fire going and we came back inside and my brother was like what in the hell just happened in here and he looked and like the uh, the dog was like the great dane was eating one of the loaves of bread and had already like eaten the other one completely <laughs> Like if it like reached up onto the counter and like grabbed them off, because <laughs> it's it's super it's a super big dog. It's a Great Dane. It can yeah. reach. That's fantastic. <laughs> they were starving it. Clearly, it needed bread. Yeah, clearly, it did. It needed bread, fresh made bread. Clearly, yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Um. So, last so last year and. 
also this year um, I was in charge of the of the turkey. So I smoked a turkey again this year uh, for Thanksgiving, and um, it really doesn't take that long to smoke a turkey in the grand scheme of things. It's like you know four or five ish hours to to smoke it. I mean, I think we had like a like a 15, 16 pound turkey, something like that for like the whole family and, and stuff. Well, so I get up at like six something to start like, you know, prepping it, like putting like the seasoning on it and like, you know, injecting it with, with the stuffs. And so I'm getting the coals ready ahead of time. And so I put them on I get my pan of water and my, I got my whole like little science experiment thing going on in the, in the smoker and I put it on and I just kind of, you know, walk away. Like that's what you do whenever you smoke it. You just walk away and you check it every now and again. You don't really lift it cause you don't want like the heat issue, like not cooking it and whatnot. Well, I come back and I'm like looking like there's like no smoke coming out. Like what is going on? Well, it was like really cold and like it was just like blowing like a lot like just wind was like crazy on Thursday morning when I was cooking so I guess somehow it just like knocked everything out so like I'm scrambling trying to get like the heat back up because one I don't want to be like poisoning anyone with an undercooked turkey and stuff like that so anyway I was just like it was it was a nightmare on Thursday, just trying to like get the thing smoked and get it up to temperature. Um, you know, so people didn't get sick and stuff. And I mean, fortunately it worked, but we were like just delayed by, I don't know, an hour or so from when we were originally going to be sitting down. But man, man, I'm just, I really hope that doesn't happen in January whenever I have a bunch of people over, uh, when it comes to brisket. Cause that be like suck. chase feed us <laughs> chase. What, what what's this like 19 hour smoked brisket that I've been hearing about? Why isn't it done yet? <laughs> what happened, Chase? Did you forget? Shut up, man. You know when we were all in Ohio, that Dave guy, you know, delivered on time, and you know everything was fine then. You know, this is all hypothetical, Chase. By the way, which Dave guy? I no don't know pressure. this Dave guy. No pressure uh, to you know do it perfectly the first time. <laughs> Oh, David. Oh, David. David, David, David. Well, the night before, um, I actually got invited on to um, someone else's podcast to um, to talk about a little something-something. And um, so that episode, I think, should be out by the time y'all are listening to this episode, perhaps. Um, I think David, or not David, um, Eric's been on the show before, too, talking about... Um, uh, a movie or something that he enjoys. And um, it's with uh, my friend Lisa. She runs a podcast called I Love That Movie Podcast. And it's just movie lovers talking about, like, you know, their favorite movie, basically. And I think, Eric, I think the last one that you did, or the only one that you did, perhaps, was uh, Vampire, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she she asked me to, it was during, like, Halloween season, and she's like, can you pick a horror movie? And I was like, that's not really my favorite genre, but I can get something for you. And so I picked like a 90 year old foreign silent horror movie. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) 
That that sounds like something because that's you would that's do. that's that's the type of thing that I like. Well, I mean, you like at one point, like pre Texas, you ran like a movie appreciation society and stuff. So no, I, mean, I like, literally ran a, um, a foreign film series that was there. We go put on. It was uh, paid for and promoted by the local chamber of commerce, and like my college my college president like asked who asked me to like to run it and so i did it was really easy because i didn't have to like raise any money for it Mm. because the chamber of commerce was paying for all of it Mm -hmm. i didn't have to find a location we just like hey let's use the auditorium at the at the college and then i didn't have to i didn't have to promote it because the chamber of commerce was doing it all i had to do was program it and and run the event but it was 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 fun there we go so Anyway, so what he's really trying to say, David, is he's kind of a big deal. So I mean, big deal. Just, well, just so you know. Well, well, you know, like the when they promoted it originally, I was front page, top, top, above the fold on the local newspaper. Let's go. <laughs> Once again, I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's like local famous, right? <laughs> do you have um, do you have bookshelves? Do you have books um filled with um, you know, mahogany? No, never mind. It. Okay, you've ne- you've never seen uh, Ron Burgundy. Uh, no, I don't think okay. Will Ferrell is funny. We've had this conversation. <laughs> I think we have. <laughs> okay, so anyways, I went on to I went on to her show, and um, originally she asked me if I wanted to um, to talk about Star Trek Insurrection, which, um, and then she like gave me like other options, like you know, or or pick whatever you want to want to talk about and I'm like you know I'm actually kind of torn between two either um, this one or uh, the music man uh, the other one being a few good men and uh, and anyways we ended up talking um, about the music man which I've been wanting to talk on her show for freaking ever uh, so um, got a chance to, to record that and have that conversation with her and it got me thinking you know we talk about like X-Files, we talk about um, Star Trek obviously, and other random freaking things in our little um, you know, observation lounge kind of stuff, but what are, y- what are y'all, y'all's favorite like musical or music comedy or whatever it might be, either on stage or on film? Yeah, like sometimes you don't give us any warning when you're going to ask these questions. That's right, like, but I did this, is, this time. This is, this is like behind the curtain. Like he actually gave us some warning about he was going to ask this question. <laughs> gave us time to think instead of just, uh, uh, David, you go. Well, I think. <laughs> no, like it's true. Like there's a couple that come to my mind. Um, obviously, Singing in the Rain is probably the greatest musical of all time. Uh, it's just it's one of the best number nine on my list of the best movies of all time straight up singing in the rain <clears throat> um so there's that obviously i love that um but some other things like west side story is fantastic i love west side story you know the the shakespeare connection to that it's obviously romeo and juliet with urban street gangs who have dance fights so what you're saying is you really enjoyed the Leonardo DiCaprio version, right? Of Romeo and Juliet? Hell yeah, I enjoyed that. <laughs> okay, and speaking of that, speaking of that, Baz Luhrmann, the director, um, directed Moulin Rouge, 
right? Which is an amazing musical. Ewan McGregor and Natalie, and not Natalie, Nicole Kidman, excuse me, right? Um, the 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 scene where they first walk into the Moulin Rouge is like 12 minutes long, and it's just nonstop in your face, go 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 the whole time. The average shot length is like two seconds for 12 minutes. Like, imagine just have you seen Moulin Rouge? Yes. Yes, you you know what I'm talking about, yeah. Chase. Mm-hmm. David's mm-hmm. like, no, I don't know. I don't watch musicals. So get out of here. I need manly action movies, right? <laughs> no, I was always into music, orchestral stuff. Not okay. All right. Mu- musicals were a little over my head, okay. but give me a good orchestra. That's that's a different story. Okay. All right. That was my culture. I'm not an uncultured swine, Eric. I promise. <laughs> All right, so so um, sounds like for Eric, it's definitely singing in the rain for his. Well, I mean that's the best one, like I didn't necessarily say it was my favorite. Okay. So which one is your favorite then? Uh, uh, West Side Story. Okay. All right. West Side Story then. Yeah. Dance battle. Right, and Watch you know, now. there's the new Steven Spielberg version coming out in like two yes, weeks there is. or something like that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's a true story right there. I'm seeing that one in theaters. How about you, David? Um, so as as I've already sort of outed, I you know I, I can't like claim to have watched a ton of musicals, but like, <clears throat> um, Phantom of the Opera was always kind of one of my my favorites. I always enjoyed the sort of the original sort of Andrew Lloyd Webber. But I also played some of the music too in the orchestra, so that was you know kind of cool. Um, and then you know, Sound of Music, I enjoyed that. I don't, I haven't watched it very recently, so I don't know how much it would necessarily like hold up like the actual movie. Mm-hmm. But I do remember enjoying that when I was younger. Gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, like I was when I was talking to um, to Lisa, I was. You know, um, mentioning like that and um, like things like Footloose, Guys and Dolls, um, even like Once Upon a Mattress to a certain extent is is mostly enjoyable. Uh, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of really good ones out there. So, see, we are not uncultured swine um, at all, I, I guess. So, well, enough of of this of this discussion about, you know, musicals and, you know, Turkey Day stuff. Let's get into it. Let's talk about this, this here Star Trek Discovery episode. So this is your, your red alert. We are going into spoiler territory as we, um, spoil upon spoil the second episode of Star Trek Discovery season four called Anomaly. So, Guys, we pick up essentially right where we left off, um, but this time we, uh, you know, we're we're dealing with the aftermath of what happened with uh, with Quajon and uh, Book's people, and we have someone um, joining us on the ship this time. Someone brand new. Well, not really brand new. Definitely not brand new. But we have someone. We have someone back on the bridge. With someone back on the ship, good old Saru, our tall, gangly, 
Kelpian with a sweet little pin on his uniform. What did y'all think about having him back? I just heard he's taller. I think he is taller. Mm. Swagger. Yeah, you know. All that swagger. <laughs> I don't know if now's the best time to, to say this, but like, Saru started out strong as a captain in season three. I thought he did. He started out strong, and then he made a lot of mistakes and quickly devolved into not being the greatest captain. And and I'll say this. Um, I don't know how this works, the command structure. Obviously, Michael Burnham is the captain of the ship. She's in charge. But now you have another captain on the bridge as well. Like, like Captain First Officer. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so it's fine. Like, Spock was a captain, right? Scotty was a captain, right? On mm-hmm. the in Star Trek VI, you know, the Undiscovered Country. So, whatever, that's fine. Like, they can make it work. But what I'll say is that while Saru might not have been a good captain, I think he makes a fantastic first officer. And I think this episode, he really, like, just fits into that role. And and I know he, he doesn't belong as a first officer anymore because he is a captain, right? But I, I think he just, he just, he's so good in that role. And I think throughout this episode, he displays why that's, like, the natural fit for him. And, like... Some people aren't cut out for the captain's chair. That's fine, right? Some people are more suited to be the right hand, and maybe that's just where he fits. Absolutely. I agree with that. Well, I mean, I, 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 would, I would agree with that if, if characters were consistent in this show. Well, um, yeah, there's that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's a reality. It's an unfortunate reality, but, like... Is he is he excellent in this episode? Yeah. Is he the exact um, answer to what I was complaining about so much last week about uh, structure and, and hierarchy? Yeah, absolutely. He he he's uh, glue. However, the only thing that I would kind of the only thing I thought about when I when I watched and, and I did actually rewatch the episode uh, again. Um, because I missed a few things the first go around. But the one thing that I started thinking about is what does what does the captain offer to this relationship? Because like, you know, with Will Riker, there was a lot that he benefited from having Captain Picard. Um, I think, you know, while Spock is fairly obvious, the, the uh, getting in touch with his humanity, uh, being alongside the swashbuckling Kirk, I think was definitely uh, a, a good thing for him. Uh, so there, there's a there's a give and take a lot of times between first officer and even well Janeway and Chakotay. I mean Chakotay was was a Maquis and they had held a lot of anger, and then eventually they became a crew, and Janeway was really the catalyst for that crew because she was a, a strong captain. In this regard, though, it's an interesting shift where you have a stronger first officer than a captain, although I do want to give Michael a little bit of credit in this episode, because although she really still needs to work through some stuff, it seems like, again, this is just to me, that they are trying to head in that direction a little bit more. No, no, I'll give Michael Burnham a lot of credit in this episode. Um, 
you know, she, we, we've all talked about how she has this, like, holier-than-thou attitude where she knows everything and whatever she wants to do is absolutely what we're going to do. Anybody else's opinions be damned. But, like, there's the scene when they get to this, and I know we're jumping into the episode, but when they get to the anomaly, like, and Book wants to take his ship and fly into it, she doesn't want to let him go, and she, like has a sit-down with Saru in the in in the ready room, I'm assuming that's what that is. Um, yep. It's a big, big ready room. It's a really big ready room. <laughs> it kind of looks like the multi-purpose room where they, like, had the, the Navarre Tribunal, like, a year ago. But whatever. Um, anyway, uh, where she has, like, a sit-down, she's like, I need advice here. Like, I don't know what to do. I know what like the partner in me wants to do i know what the captain in me wants to do but i don't know what to do so i'm coming to my first officer to give me advice and i think that's a lot of growth in michael Byrne. that's more growth than we've seen from her in a long time just acknowledging that i don't know what to do in this situation and this is this is the thing that i want to see from her i want to see her not just be the know-it-all but be someone who actually leans on that first officer and the rest of her crew for advice to become a better captain. Right. And I give her a lot of credit, and the writers a lot of credit in this episode for doing that. Yeah, the I think I mentioned this um, in last week's discussion, but part of what uh, one, one of the interviews that I believe it was Michelle Paradise gave regarding the development and I guess uh, the trajectory I guess for Michael Burnham this season is what do you do in the face of uncertainty like with the whole like kind of fake it till you make it kind of thing and that's kind of um, like I, I'm I see that more clearly now um, after after that interview um, especially like certain moments on the bridge whenever we're dealing with this um, anomaly problem that we're going to be talking about here in just a little bit. The um, space sneeze. <laughs> it's <laughs> When they finally face it, it's like, what is this? Just the, the space went ahead and just sneezed all this random white stuff everywhere. <laughs> I will never see it the same way ever again. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Welcome. You're welcome. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, like the whole, what do you do in the face of uncertainty thing? And the fact that you, you see some of this development, like we're kind of talking about, you know, from this, um, um, savior complex to like actually being forced to slow down and actually think about something intentionally, um, I think is, is really good for her for once. Yeah, yeah. Well, l- lest we praise her too much, right? I still think she has a little bit of this savior <laughs> complex because right before they're about to jump there, she says, "We lost these these three people died. We're going to make sure we don't lose anybody on my watch ever again. We're not going to let that happen anymore." It's like, did you not learn from like what the Federation president was trying to tell you last week? You can't save everybody. Yes, it's a noble idea, but this is a a an anom- it's an anomaly, right? Unless we find out later this was created in a lab by somebody, right? Which I don't put that past this show to, like, somebody is c- trying some new space travel and it's 
cause I don't put that past this show, but this is like a natural phenomenon. Like it's literally an act of God, air quotes, right? You can't stop things like that, right? You can't save everybody. Did you learn nothing? Right. Right. So lest yeah, I, I, I praise Michael Burnham too much. I know it's kind of jumping around, but Eric already mentioned it, that, that speech. I I didn't really like that at all. It, it seemed strange. Like, you know, and again, I started thinking back on, like, speeches before missions and everything. Normally, it's the captain, like, telling the crew what we're going into. In this case, it's like, we don't know what this is, but we're going in to figure it out, you know, let's you know put science rings together wonder science twins you know unite but the, the thing is it, it was to, to exactly what eric said it, it seemed like almost a self-indulgence in that potential like last spark of savior complex which i don't know as a crew does that necessarily motivate I don't know if it motivates me very much. Like, give us a pat on the back. Just tell us what we're facing. Uh, even Saru, when we had our kind of council beforehand, he said, uh, I don't remember the precise words, but open and honest, you know, be transparent with people about what this is. It's like, well, maybe just go at a little different. That's that's That was my only thing. So, so the little pep talk on the bridge. Um. First off, she says, Discovery. And I'm like, okay, so you're addressing the ship? Like, the physical ship? I mean, I, I just thought that was weird. Anyways, um, the thing, when whenever she started it, like, the way that the beat of this speech started, even, like, with the the music that was kind of backing it, um, I automatically thought of President Whitmore from Independence Day and the speech that he gives in the hangar. <laughs> Automatically, that that was the first thing that was on my mind. Whenever, like, how she was addressing the ship. Good morning. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircrafts from here will join others from around the world, and you'll be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. Takes that word should have new meaning for all of us today. <laughs> Perhaps it's fate that today is the Fourth of July. We'll once again be fighting for our freedom. <laughs> Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. For our right to exist. Our, hold on, hold on. This is the part where we got to whisper. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist, and we should win today. The 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice... We will not go quietly without a fight. We will not vanish into the night. You need to whisper, Eric. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, today we celebrate our Independence Day. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I've seen that movie a few times. Just a few. Just it's a few. Good. I like that movie. The sequel is, gar yeah, the, the sequel the, the, is garbage. <laughs> The, the, the whisper talking, I think we talked about Dune, maybe offline or whatever, and they got into a lot of whisper talking, but like the theaters that I watched in, I don't know if it was the mix, because the second time I saw it, it was still kind of similar with just like the backing score just throbbing over everybody's whisper talking. 
what what acting school brings that out of people? I have no idea. What you need to do, everyone, is we need to learn how to talk as softly as possible. I, I don't. I, I, sorry. We've talked about whisper talking before. She is yeah. the, the the queen of whispering. Yes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so so we have. We have a good part of this episode, right? We've said, like, the little briefing, right? We're not sitting down. We're all standing, and it's not a table, but it's a giant whatever it is, like, hollow screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. And is this anomaly, whatever it is, we don't know. It's five light years wide, which is gigantic, right, for some kind of anomaly in space. And their theory is it's two black holes that are... It's a binary black hole system that's like they're moving together and all it's causing all kinds of gravitational problems and they don't know anything about it. They've looked in every database possible and they can't find anything. But I'm wondering, what about that giant living database on the discovery that named itself Zora, right? Did you check that database? Does that know anything <laughs> at all about this type of thing? Like like, I I understand why they don't want to use the sphere data so much because it's like it could be like a Deus Ex Machina, right? If it just mm-hmm. knows everything, but like, man, it could have easily stopped Osira from taking over the ship last season. And I mean, I feel like maybe it might be a good place to look for information about this. I don't know, just just saying. So. I don't know, but every time I hear Zora, and this is for all the gamers out there, I just I automatically exactly. think of Legend of Zelda, <laughs> Zora's Domain. Uh, I, there you I go. Play video games. Every they're 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 fish people is what they are. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, this I like this scene, right? I figured you guys knew I would like this scene where we're we're talking about it and we're discussing it, and I think I think it does a pretty good job of setting the scene and building tension, right? And you know, Discovery will jump there immediately and figure out what's going on. And we get President Torino from the from Navarre, who's like, "Hey, we're not part of the. We haven't rejoined the Federation yet, but we're here to help." And the President Rilla comes in and says, "Everyone, everyone has to unite." And that's what the Federation is. It's us uniting. Even if you're not part of the Federation, we're going to unite and we're going to be stronger because of it. And yes, that's that's what I want. And I also want Earth to come back. I don't know if anybody else wants Earth to come back, but, like, can we go and check in with Earth again, right? Can we see those people? Can we get Earth to rejoin the Federation? Can we Can we, Can we? we do that? I don't know. I was just thinking that the whole time I was watching this episode. I was like, I'd love to see me some Captain Ndoye or the Earth Defense Force. But, but, but <laughs> wait, Eric. There's something even better than Earth. There's a Ferengi. Mm. Hey, I mean, I mean, right? Yeah, there's a Ferengi captain. I mean, I don't have any problem with that. He looks a little funky, right? It's just the discovery redesign of <laughs> that they always have to do. But whatever. I don't have any problem with the Ferengi being. I don't know if Ferenginar joined the Federation or not in 900 years. I think that they would have more in line with the Emerald Chain, right? You'd think they'd be the one to get in on that, wouldn't they? Perhaps. Yeah. I remember um, 
look, I know people have given like given um, the the discovery Ferengi like a lot of crap in the months since it was like first like introduced or whatever. Um, what was? Oh shoot, I I should look this up. Um, quick, uh, Lieutenant Commander Info, you need to know this right now. Okay. All right, '80s movie. Here we go. Never ending story. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the bat and the bat keeper in Never Ending Story? Go. Nope. You have failed me for the last no, time. I know the main character's name is Bastion. That's okay. About all. Well, anyway, so the Ferengi look a little bit like the love child between the bat and the bat owner in Never Ending Story. And um, for, well, freaking people in listener land can't see this, but the guys are going to be able to. Um, so they'll they'll know what I'm talking about right there. Look a little bit like the love child. <laughs> anyway, there you go. That's all you get. Moving on, though, um, I am happy to see the Ferengi back in here and that um, it's a Ferengi captain potentially the USS Nog eh? possibly I mean it's it's there I mean we know it was there at middle of last season for crying out loud um, it's not on the nose or anything like that a Ferengi serving on the Nog <laughs> come on man I don't know unless the, the Ferengi's captaining like what the USS Janeway or something or the USS Cisco. That'd be two on the nose right yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Moving on. All right, so we do a little jumpy jump. And that's pretty much where we're at. Like, the rest of the episode is dealing with this anomaly. And not getting blowed up too bad. Mm-hmm. So, Tether. So, we have this plan of essentially... We need to get out there. We need to get some data so we can understand this phenomenon, this anomaly that is wreaking havoc in this part of space and, you know, the trajectory that it may or may not be on, stuff like that. So we're going to do a couple things. One, Book's going to go do his thing, and we're also going to create a holographic uh, Stamets to kind of accompany him to collect some data. And we're going to put a little bungee cord on the little boomerang ship that uh, freaking Book drives. Cool. And you really want, hate his ship, don't you? It it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what his ship name, what the ship's name is called, and it just looks like a boomerang, like boomerang phaser thing. His his ship has to have a name, right? There was a whole book we read, like a, a novel that we read that dealt with his ship as well, right? Michael Burnham's ship was called the Alice. Eric, Eric. I, I know you guys look, put look, that book out me. of your memory. <laughs> look at me, bro. Look at me, bud. We have... You guys have no. forgotten about that book, but things get into my mind and they stay. <laughs> we have we have chosen to, to forget that book ever existed. Okay, anyway. It, it was a really long year, okay? Yeah, it was a really it was, long year. It was the longest year ever of Michael Burnham's Rumspringa. Anyway, um, so Burnham is like Michael Burnham. Burnham's like Michael Burnham. Book is like, Michael, I'm not under your command. You can't stop me from flying into that thing. And I'm flying into that because I have survivor's guilt 
and I want to die like the rest of my people died. That's that's all I kept thinking this entire episode is like he wants to die in there because he's got survivor guilt. And like <clears throat> I think that's one of my biggest problems with like this whole storyline so far just two episodes in is that you started out with something so massive and so like devastating that I don't know how much time this season is going to take. I don't know. I don't remember how much time season three took place once the whole crew was in the future. But, like, it takes a, a long time to process grief, especially grief on this level, right? And, like, books should not be able to, like, properly function, right, dealing with this type of grief right so soon like it takes time to process and i feel like this show is just gonna like breeze by that process of grieving like it it totally like breeze by like detmer's ptsd last season right and i just feel like it, it books should be like a mess the rest of this season i just don't feel like it's gonna happen and maybe and like I, don't know, I just I have a lot of problems with with starting out this season with with such a big massive event like destroying Quajon. I, I, yeah, I, really, I, I, I have a lot of thoughts and I can't focus them. Somebody somebody re- chase take me off here. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I was having issues with it too. Um, I mean his whole planet done got exploded and I mean, as we kind of hear, like, with some of the dialogue towards the end of this particular episode, like, he was, like, you know, he considered this little boy, Leto, to be, like, his family. Like, he, it was, like, almost as if he was actual flesh and blood. I mean, maybe he actually was, for all we know, but that's beside the point. Um, this loss was devastating, and I love what Saru said was saying at one point and i'm not going to get the quote right but you know everyone works through their grief in their own way type of thing i can remember distinctly um after my mom died that um i was getting inundated with phone calls from people family and otherwise and they were you know like bawling their eyes out and then they're like why aren't you crying why are you crying you should i'm the one that's like bawling my eyes out in, in in front of you and you should be the one that's crying and I'm like well I'm I'm not it's fine if you want to cry cry and that's the thing that was kind of like annoying me with what um, Michael was doing in terms of how she was experiencing books expression of grief is that it didn't meet her expectations of what grief should be like look grief is a fickle bastard you you're gonna go through it in waves you know, there are going to be days that are great where you can function fine. And there are going to be days where grief cripples you and keeps you on the floor until you don't want it anymore. And it's still going to keep you there, but you're going to eventually get up and be okay. It comes in waves and you got to, you got to give yourself and others space and grace for whenever it comes to like this grief thing. And I really disliked like how that particular dialogue was written. Um, even though it is very real in terms of how people um, interact with others regarding grief. And I'm sorry that I'm getting on a soapbox, but like, um, but that, I mean, it, it is, it is what it is in terms of like that particular scene. 
Are you talking about the scene at the very end? Um, or are you talking about the scene where right before Book's saying, I'm flying out into that thing and you can't stop me? Right before. And then, like, even whenever she starts talking to Saru, I'm kind of, like, jumping around, okay. like, kind of combining right. scenes. But, yeah. Right. Because I think the ending scene is, is played perfectly, right? No, the, the ending scene is played well. It's it's the beginning part, like, when we're, okay. you know, like, towards the beginning and yeah, as yeah, we're yeah, getting yeah. into, like, this whole anomaly situation. Yeah. Mm. All right. Any thoughts, David? Do you want to add? Well, I mean, I I, I, de I definitely agree about it, but that's sort of doubling back to what I said last week. That I, I, I think that there's somebody in the writer's room who's kind of understanding what the complaints of Discovery has been. And the reception to um, particularly heavy problems has always kind of been bungled with this show and I think that they're kind of starting to attempt to try and work their way out of it now is books grief gonna come back again we'll see I think the Detmer thing was one of the ones that kind of irritated me the most because I thought they really could have made like a, a good Detmer episode and they never did um, that could have highlighted the character but no, none of this stuff was dealt with well until the end. You know, uh, even like getting a little bit deeper in like Tilly, there's clearly something off with Tilly. And she finally asked for help in the end, like legitimate help from what I'm in quotations, a professional. I, I don't know what he does. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know who anybody is. He, uh, I'm even forgetting his name, our doctor. Dr. Culver. <laughs> Culver. I was even forgetting his name. I, I'm so bad with names on the show, but like Culver's just wearing a white uniform uh, top now. It's like medical. I don't know what he does. He fixes people and he talks to them. But the, at least she's asking for help. And I think, I feel like probably making up in, a, up in my own head to justify, you know, the show or whatever. But like, it, it feels like that that's kind of the whole point where we're, We've handled it really badly, but in the end, we're going to get to the right answer, and this is our growth, maybe. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just follow up on the Tilly thing because I I remember you mentioning it last week. You thought there was something wrong with Tilly, like maybe she wanted out of this situation, and and I totally was like, I, you know, Tilly has been one of my least favorite characters for a long time, right? I think she was just middling and annoying in season one, and I think you know she was in way over her head in season three and here I actually like this storyline that she's like you know I'm not good like there's something is wrong here with me and and I recognize that and I need to seek out help from that professional help from that and and I'm glad that she's doing that and I'm actually liking this is like one of the first and only things that I actually like about the Tilly character uh, who knows where it's going to go from here because Detmer said the exact same thing to Dr. Colbert last season. She's like, I'm not okay. Can you try and help me through it? And we didn't see any of that trying to help me through it. We just saw her go on one mission and fly a ship. She came back and she's like, I'm a badass. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, so hopefully yeah. they do something better, you know, this season with this storyline. But I definitely wanted to mention that since you just 
probably know what happens later in the episode, but since you mentioned it here, I wanted to mention it as well. Yeah, well, she, I mean, she definitely needs it. I mean, because it's like, it's not, it, it's not just like all the stuff that's happened to her, like the stuff with Osiris, the stuff on the station. Obviously, she has survivor's guilt too, but it's just her overall anxiety. Like, she would be the kind of person that would give me anxiety to be around because I wouldn't know. It's like, what are we doing? What are you doing? Are we going left? Are we going right? What, what, what are we doing here? So, like, I mean, that's something that, yeah, I mean, it, it's good to talk about your problems. I mean, I know uh, too many people that don't talk about their problems, and unfortunately that's ended badly in some cases and so on and so forth. But um, it, I, I want to I see her do well, which is funny because, like, I actually didn't mind her as much in the beginning, and then I just sort of grew to not really care for the character anymore. Um but if they turn her around, I think that'd be that'd be a nice. It'd be a nice, and it would also be a really nice nod to just general mental health and getting help. Yeah, I think that's a positive thing, especially nowadays. Hundred percent. And I won't I won't go um, too far down the rabbit hole. Um, but like you, I mean, you, y'all know this, and like. I'm sure like some of the listeners know this, but like in my, my, my day job, I'm a counselor. And the thing that we tell that I tell my students and the thing that I, I, I uh, make a point of communicating the best I can, even to my clients is that change happens in relationship. Like when we're, when we're not in relationship uh, with someone like true change, true growth doesn't really exist. Like we are, I mean, we are we are meant to be in relationship uh, with each other, regardless of your worldview. Um, like the worst punishment you can give a, a human being is solitary confinement. Um, it takes away that social aspect. So, regardless of of theory, regardless of intervention, um, just being connected to someone, having that what we call right brain to right brain connection, is where true change and growth takes place. So, the fact that from a narrative standpoint here in Star Trek Discovery we've had the burn where there's been this relational isolation. Like there have been islands of cultures and societies that have been disconnected from the larger galactic community Um, just speaks volume. So I think if they do it right, there's a real opportunity to really speak to the importance of relationship in that healing that they kind of started to talk about at the tail end of last season. And I think you, along the lines of that like you have like those micro macro kind of opportunities like right like with what Tilly's kind of doing in the hallway with Culber and even like with rebuilding the Federation whether Navarre joins again or not which they probably will um, or others um, there's there's that relational healing that needs to take place uh, through whatever so there we go so y'all want to talk about? Um, do you want to talk about the the tether yeah. and yeah. So, and the ship, or do you so, want to talk about something else? So in true Star Trek fashion, right? Whenever two people don't get along or have issues communicating or working through their differences, what do we do? Put them together. We put them together and we send them on an away mission. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what we do, right? And so here, here we got book who's got some grief issues and we've got Stamets who's got some grief issues right he 
dealt with the loss of Hugh, getting him back. He was dealing with the whole Michael Burnham, like, you know, pushing him off the ship at the end of season three, which I thought he made a really terrible joke about that, and which was totally, <laughs> totally out of place in this episode. But anyway, and, and there's also some animosity between the two because book can work the spore drive now and stan we had that whole scene last se- season where Depp was like called stamets out for like you think you're so hot shit and so important because you're the only person that can do this and now he's not so he's feeling a little vulnerable and they've got some animosity and so we're gonna send them on an away mission except we're not really sending stamets on an away mission we're putting him through some hollow technology thing that they've never talked about before but yeah, it's 900 years in the future, so why not? Yeah, and they sent him on a way mission to inside the accretion disk, the accretion disk cloud thing of this anomaly, so they can gather data. Oh, you know I what? I actually thought they're good. Good, dude. I was just gonna say, I, I actually enjoyed their banter. Oh, I, I enjoyed Stamets yeah. uh, like a lot. I think. Uh, his sarcasm and the way he plays off people, it's funny to me because I like to mess with people sometimes. Um, not in an unhealthy way, hopefully. Uh, anyway, but, but no, I, 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 liked, I liked their back and forth. And the, the fact is, is that they were, they were able to come together on, on a few things in a, in a relatively straightforward way as well. So I thought that was kind of cool. No, I actually, I actually think that their, their interactions is one of the strengths of this episode, right? With that and their, their back and forth and how, how they actually come to some sort of understanding. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the the whole the whole time, with Stamets and Book on the ship, like their scenes were gold. Yeah. Uh, for this episode, absolute gold. Um, best part best part of the episode most enjoyable part for me uh, watching this the two times that I did so yeah like um, actually getting them to like really interact with each other I think for the first time yeah yeah honestly book, book says a line like we've talked more in these 10 minutes than in the past five months yeah and I honestly can't really remember the two of them interacting much in season three at all. I think the I mean, only were, time were, the only time I think might have been like in engineering or the the spore drive land or whatever whenever they were trying to like figure out like what to do and book was like kind of kind of interested in joining Starfleet and like go read a technical manual type of thing. Yeah. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. There was so I I I uh, I'm kind of lost here but I was thinking of something um, regarding the regarding the anomaly, and um, like, have we ever seen anything like this before? Type of thing, um, like with destroying planets and stuff like that. And I guess the thing that came to mind was um, the Nexus. Yeah, but the Nexus really didn't destroy planets. No, but like it was still like a tidal wave of a ribbon that was like going through wreaking havoc Mm -hmm. in the cosmos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they were talking, they were like asking like, was there anything similar? And they say, no. I'm like, are you telling me 
that there wasn't a single log from 800, some 900 years ago, whatever, about a freaking ribbon that destroyed the Enterprise B and the D. Well, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I believe there is a more than non-zero chance that the writers probably have never seen Star Trek Generations. Oh, well, here's the next thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm... Well, I'm going to save the next, th- that part for, for the very end uh, with this other theory that I think that's also just so happened to be making the rounds, too, on the internets. So. I think I might know that, what you're talking about, too. So we'll, 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 that's what we call a tease, everyone. That's what we call a tease. All right. Um, yeah, so we get we get um, the, the odd couple together to go. No, they're not the odd couple, but they're the odd couple. Felix and Oscar. To go, yeah, to go, to go do the thing. Go do the thing, guys. Go get some data for us, and, and let's have some fun and do some kite surfing while we're at it. It'll be great. Can, can we talk about that? Like, no, not that. You mean Bryce? Not, to the that, rescue? not that I have a problem with this. I am very worried for Lieutenant Commander Bryce, our communications officer. <laughs> like, Uh-oh. I, I am very worried. Like, in the first episode, they introduced a replacement character, right? Lieutenant Christopher. <laughs> they introduced a replacement character, and now here we're learning something about Lieutenant Bryce. Like, we learned something about Arium in the episode that she died, right? We had never knew anything about the robot lady, and now all of a sudden we're learning stuff about her. Now we introduced a replacement character last episode, and now we've got some background information on Lieutenant Commander Bryce, and I am just worried that he is not going to make it out of this alive. Re- Re- Reese is just in the... I'm very worried. <laughs> Reese is just in the back. Oh, my plan is coming. It's going precisely according to plan. Yes, Bryce. Let everybody know more about you. I mean, and it was like, and it was like, it was like at the end of last season, right? We learned Awushakun was like free diving and could hold her breath for a long time. I was like, no, 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 no. She's gonna die, and like she was like gonna make the sacrifice. That's right. You get that spike of knowledge of a character, and that is not good on this show for the background players. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm worried. Well, hopefully he doesn't die. But one other thing that we learn about another character, kind of jumping around as well, is that um, freaking Gray doesn't like a little mole on her hand. On their hand. I'm sorry. On their hand. So let's let's just erase that, like with a little Photoshop, and we'll call it good. Yeah, he even did a little, a little eraser motion too, which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Oh yeah, this technology was used by you know some admiral Picard. Well, I mean, it, it I makes don't know sense. Who that is. Well, they don't know who it's a hundred hundred years before Picard, right? Bull. And they jumped over Bull. his time. He's in a book. He's somewhere. <laughs> Come on. He even wrote books. We know about it. It's fine. Yeah, but they're from a hundred years before Picard. I don't read a book, <laughs> or a database, or something. I don't know. No, it's like. It's this is this is the Alex Kurtzman influence. Like he's trying to connect everything together, right? Last season he connected Star Trek two thousand nine, right? The Romulan mining accident, which I'm sure has got more to do with it. I which might have more to do with this anyway. 
and now he's connecting Picard to this, right? He's this is he just wants to make a shared universe here, connect it all together. So, so are you saying that we're going to have someone in a trench coat with an eye patch roll up into Michael Burnham's um, luxurious ready room and saying, "We're putting a team together." <laughs> I'm here to talk to you about the Federation Initiative. <laughs> no, it's like, I think Chase, David, you didn't do the recaps with us for Picard, but Chase and I universally hated that storyline. The golem synthetic body for Picard. Mm-hmm. And I hated it then, and I hate it now just gonna say right i literally hate well, the, the other, that entire idea well the other thing too is i don't really understand how the how it's supposed to work in this case i mean gray is a consciousness but a consciousness presumably stored by the symbiote mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just i mean the symbiote wouldn't let that go would it that's part of it. I'm, it. It, the whole thing doesn't make much sense to me. Oh, jeez. I'm very. Chase is throwing up stuff on the I'm screen. I'm very confused by the whole Adira Gray situation. I want them to explain how Adira, as a human, can accept, can be host to a symbiote, and I hope. I think they think they've explained it with "Welcome to the Circle," right? And she was accepted. I think that the writers believe it's a settled issue, which it's not for me. I still don't understand how Gray's consciousness just appears like this. This is, like, we did see Esri go through some, like, ritual to bring out one of them temporarily. Well, Jedzia, too. Well, but Jedzia went through, like, the ceremony is, like, for all of them. But there was that Esri, there was that Esri episode where she brought out just the one to help her catch the sniper guy. Mm-hmm. Right, but I still don't understand this whole storyline, and I don't know. I if they would explain it to me, I might be interested in it. But this to me is like the least interesting part of the story. And I know there are going to be people that are yelling, "How can this not be interesting to you?" Like, yeah, it's just not. It's not. So, so this is the thing, and um, Eric, you might debunk this in like three seconds for me that's fine and I might have people in listener land yelling at me for whatever reason that's fine too but okay so this is this has been concerning me too about um, um, the gray character okay and like this whole will they won't they get a body um, will will we have um the oh lord help me um Blue Del Barrio's character help me I lost Adira, the name just now Adira. thank you Adira um will Adira um be be good to go as as um uh you know this with with with, with the symbiote thing um if this if this storyline plays out which it's going to Right, because like they've got like the golem thing in sick bay all set and, up, and ready to Michelle rock and roll Par- for down. Michelle Paradise has told us already that they're going full forward ahead with this. Okay, so that's fine. Whatever they do with the storyline, fine. 
my concern is if if the gray character is a manifestation of the of a past symbiont, right? Past host, yeah. Past host, right? What happens to the connection that Adira has with the symbiont? Does it like shut things down to where like they're in the same position that they were whenever we met them? Um, like kind of blocked off, can't connect to uh, their past selves, essentially. Like we don't have the spaghetti warehouse anymore type of thing. Does some some aspect of the symbiont have, um, I don't know, like they're brain dead, essentially? Uh, I mean, like I know, the, the, like, I hope these aren't silly questions, but like that's just kind of like where my well, mind's well, going here, with some of this stuff. Here's my question. Has, has, Adira ever said anything about or gotten any information or gotten any help or an assist from any of the previous hosts like Jed Z would always talk about oh I learned this from this previous host or I'm able to do this because of or I'm tapping into some knowledge from this previous host right. Adira like I sometimes I forget that she is a host to a trill because it's like not important it's not a part of her character like there's there's no there, we don't we the only reason that she was host is so we could find the federation and then after exactly, that exactly that, that was the only drop. thing that was the only piece of information that we got from it and it's like yeah okay now is she yeah, a trail? That, that was the only right. thing like we did we went and did is. like some kind of we did some kind of um, Vision um like ceremony in the pools you know for her to or for for their character i'm sorry to reconnect with the trill mm -hmm. to reconnect and access the memories of senatol who was a formal uh, former um, admiral that knew where the secret um starfleet hq was but that's it mm -hmm. it was like a one or two episode thing and that was it yep well i i think i think there's some pretty dangerous precedences that you could set with this and I actually, when I look back at the episode with Jadzia, um, uh, oh, dang, who is the uh, who is the former host before Jadzia? Curzon. Uh, Curzon. So Curzon inhabits Odo, uh -huh. and effectively, it's almost implied in that episode that he doesn't have to go back, which I actually think was a mistake then too. Because it sort of seems like you're implying that the symbiote is effectively more than just a trail of memories. It's more like a collector of souls. Because I still, and, and again, like this is me at a non-scientific, non-flying around the universe level, who still believes in the actuality of a, of a soul in people, um, which gives a sort of spark of life. So you're telling me that what what does this symbiote hold and then even if you are able to somehow transfer memory are you now telling me that there's no soul like how does this thing this 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 uh amalgamation between technology and memories function how does it live it would be the same the same sort of thing it, well and then also it almost makes the trill immortal as well because you could just transfer them out 
I don't I don't like I don't like it. It it, it seems funny to me, and I, I'm I'm not I'm not liking the idea that we're getting into. But again, it also taps in the fact that if you're going to kill a character, they need to stay dead. Like leave it alone, make your choices, and let it lie. Well, we know that this show doesn't do that. No, they're terrible at it. But again, I, I, I said before we started recording, I actually think that this whole potential storyline ends the Grey and Adira relationship. Because I feel like Adira will feel that piece of her or them leaving. And although we haven't heard much about the, the, the symbiote being a part of Adira, which I kind of hate... Because uh, that was always such a big part with with Jedzia and, and Ezri, I still would have to assume that there would be something there that she would, they would feel is missing. You know what I mean? And then what do you do? Reabsorb Gray again? We think I, I, don't, I don't know how that works. It doesn't do you think, make a lot of sense. No, so do you think really they're going to try and um, kill? kill gray off all over again well i just i mean that could that could be a story why would i i think i think michelle paradise has made way too big of a deal about bringing gray back to to then go and kill them off right i i think that just zero chance of that happening i think it's zero chance you could do it really yeah but you could do it really tastefully if you did I mean, it could be a, it could be as simple as the symbiote cannot survive, which means Adira cannot survive. It's like it can't survive without without its memories of, of this person. Then it then the host couldn't survive. You well, know what I mean? Inter- and then it would be, be it would be like a sacrifice. It wouldn't be like killing a character off. It would be more of a benevolent sacrifice, and then they'd be connected all over again. I, I just I think at that point you have to kill the the imaginary best friend thing. Just, I can't. I imagine. think you would have to reintegrate it completely. I can't imagine Michelle Paradise going that direction with everything that she said in interviews. Sure. I just think it would be a mistake, personally. I do too. That'd be interesting, though. I think to have like gaps of knowledge, gaps of experiences, uh, by no longer being connected to Gray Tall. I mean. Like if if this new, um, um, what are they calling it? Not, not integration. Um, incorporate. Incorporation. Thank you. This new incorporation that they're doing, um, it would be very interesting, you know, with like the whatever we're calling it, the soul, the the memory, the imprint, the whatever of gray is gone now. Like it's just somehow like disconnected, but in disconnecting all the memories, all the experiences, there's a gap. So there's that uncertainty. So bringing it back full circle to this theme of uncertainty and still having to show up and show out every time, um, not just with Michael Burnham now, but potentially with Adira now as well. So like she's, I'm sorry, they are, um, they're, they're having to figure out how to like have their new normal now. We, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think Adira has really found a new normal yet at all in this crew. So you're you're just kind of adding another mountain to climb at that point. It's like how how many like mountains Everest? does a character? 
Yeah, exactly. How many mountains does a character have to climb before you show the growth? At least one more. Eventually, people. Have At to least grow. one more. <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. All right. Well, I think we've talked the um, the Adira Gray thing to death. Yeah, let's go surfing. You want to go surfing? I want to go surfing. I've never been let's surfing. I have no desire to do it in real life. But let's go surfing. Let's surf the gravitational waves. Yeah, buddy. While using the force. <laughs> wow. I mean, they kind of are. Just you have to. The fe- program will fe- matter. In this. Fe- I thought it was. I thought it was stupid. You have to feel it. You have to feel they the wave stupid. and become one and touch and reach out with the force because it surrounds and connects everything. Look. <laughs> Look, Book had to had to turn off their his his his, tar- his targeting, targeting computer. computer. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. And I'm gonna guide you in. Stay on target. Let go. Stay Let on go. target. Trust your feelings. HUD <laughs> impacted on the surface. Go, Book. Go. God. Oh. Great shot, Book. One in a million. Yeah. Let's blow this thing. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, I mean, no. Like, like, but book. He 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 struggles. He can't get the first one. He misses the first attempt. Negative. It didn't go in. <laughs> right. And then, Bur- Saru's like Saru comes up and's like, Michael, now's the time to be a partner, not not a captain and like like this is where i think one of the things i'm i'm saru is giving like good advice here i think like michael book doesn't need to hear from this is the captain do exactly what i say book needs to be reassured on a personal level and they open up a a private line of communication and there's like a little security bubble around the captain's chair they they got the they got the dune they got the dune silence bubble yeah, like, like, like. When, 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 this is a, when has a personal? Yeah, when has a personal line ever been personal? I mean, open I up mean, a personal channel while everybody's standing well, but like around. Plenty you. of time, plenty of times, the captain will say, "Patch it into my ready room," and they'll go into the ready room to take the personal call. There's no little like personal shield bubble around the captain's <laughs> chair. What is? When, what is this? But she's like, "Hey, book. Hey, book." <laughs> How you doing? I'm here for you. I know you're hurting, but you just take gotta... a strong hand. <laughs> you know? It's like, hey, book, how you doing? Can I help you? Will you let me help you? You need some help. No, and I, like, as in all honesty, I think I think this is actually uh, like a good conversation between the two of them. I'm not like I've never been the biggest shipper of their relationship, but like I think this, I actually think that you know. You know the way she's talking to him here, like, is actually really helpful, and it's a good, good, good conversation. And eventually, he's like, sits down and he feels the wave, and and he rides the little gravitational wave out. That's right. Yeah, and he's safe, and they get the data back. Mission accomplished, right? Yeah, and we're gonna find out and let's that. Let's go home. Mission accomplished. Cla- claps all around. Claps all around. Claps yeah. All around Saru turns to Bryce. Mr. Bryce, 
Good job. Yeah. Good job. Good job on that hobby, bud. Good job. On Good may, job. may us all have such, you know, important and useful hobbies in the future. <laughs> Could, couldn't just said good job I, you, you know i get nitpicky i think we all get nitpicky but like yeah it's a hobby of his but just like yeah, yeah good logic thanks for the input man yeah. oh no i'm really glad that you had that totally random hobby that helped us out here you're totally dumb and all but it's good that you had a hobby <laughs> i mean he came in there and just like explained it like an actual scientist and they're like good hobby you know, next week you're getting a red shirt so we can get rid of you, you know. Or, uh, you're part of the background. You're part of the background chorus. So we could just, like, run in another actor in the same costume and no one would ever notice. Rice and Reese, man. Like, those names are too too close together. Rice and Reese, yeah. Rice and Reese, yeah. All right, so now we're, we're out. We're out. We, You know, we, we've, we've talked about some of these other conversations, like Tilly and... Tilly and um, Saru, or not Saru, uh, Cobra have their conversation here, and Adira and Gray have another mm-hmm. conversation here, and then, like, Book and Burnham have a conversation here, which we, I don't know if we talked, uh, if we've said enough about the dynamic of Book and Burnham this episode, mm-hmm. but, like, mm-hmm. he, he finally, like, lets it go, and admits, like, yeah, I'm not doing all right, this is really, this is really too hard on me and I actually think David Ajala is does a fantastic job acting in this entire episode right just showing the grief and and his struggle it's it's not believable how he's like been able to hold it in or been able to hold it together so long but like when he does finally admit it there at the end I think he does a fantastic job and I don't blame him for the story because I think he acts with the material he's given very well Yeah, I was whenever I was uh, watching him. Um, I mean, knowing that he's been a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company for crying out loud, just like seeing his his acting chops come out, come through, as well as they have. I'm like, man, we're we're spoiled to have him on this show. Like personally, uh, the character characters of Book and Culber are my two favorite on this show. Personally, I think they I think they have like the the most to they just they just do such a phenomenal job. Not that Doug Jones doesn't. Doug Jones is an amazing actor. I think he does great as um, Saru so far, um, playing with his little little brooch um, just before before Tilly shows up uh, to explain like what the cataclysmic issue is and how it's not normal. Love it. So, uh, but yeah, it's at this point. Unless I'm missing something, which tends to happen, um, that we find out that this thing is completely unpredictable, and we can't really explain stuff like it's like we can't map it. Essentially, we can't track it, trace it, stuff like that. So there's no way to predict where it's going, where it came from, as of right now. Yeah. So basically, this entire mission was really for naught because we gathered all this data, but. We can't use it. Mm-hmm. And then the, that's how the episode ends. Dramatic music, pull back. And it pulls back, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah pull, pull back to a real... I mean, what the hell am I looking at here? I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, what, what, is, what is this? this <laughs> I mean, 
Does that look good to you guys? Like, am I am I just being picky? Well, I think it. I think the the final shot is supposed to look like what you think a black hole looks like, like the very final shot. Uh huh. It looks stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, the th- the 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 thing that's circling right now, um, apparently in the fandom right now, is that this is. V'ger that is uh, allegedly reappearing almost a thousand years later. I didn't hear that. Okay, here we go. Which, th- I think that's just like, that's just hoping and wishing, you know, because, like, look, last year for season three, we were talking about Omega directive type stuff, yeah, we were right? Talking about the burn being connected to all these things in the past, and it wasn't. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. And look, as much as I might want it to be V'ger, it's not going to happen. No. But if you look at the shot of V'ger, like if you do like a side by side of like V'ger and like that that pullback, right, of this thing, whatever this thing is. You can kind of understand why people might think that, for sure. But um, I was I was doing some digging, and there is some some major speculation in terms of what the actual size of Vedra was. Um, apparently, it was um, like it was nowhere near as big as well, I as think this. They, I like, think they said in the beginning of St- Star Trek the Motion Picture how big Vedra was. In terms of like, so, they gave it in terms of like AUs, which is the distance from the Earth to the Sun. So looking here, uh, the V'ger energy cloud is given a size measuring 82 AU in diameter, which I have no idea what that is. Can it, you do math for me here? One AU is the distance from the Earth to the Sun. Okay, so how far is is the Earth from the Sun? One AU. One. A- but like, what would one the, I'm, I'm not trying to be units. an idiot. But like, if we could we convert that to like light years in any, any way? Oh well, it's way less than a light year. Okay. Oh wait, hold on. Let me let me. Okay, maybe I should keep reading this. The measurement is equivalent to over one point two two seven one times ten to the tenth power kilometers, or point zero zero one light years. Okay. So one kilometer, one AU astronomical unit, would be. Eight would be about one point five times ten to the eighth kilometers. Okay. One point five times ten to the eighth kilometers. Okay. And yeah, like what this is saying um, on here. Like I said, one point two two seven one times ten to the tenth power kilometers, or zero point zero zero one light years. Placing V'ger at the same central position as the sun would mean that the energy cloud would extend beyond the Kuiper belt, extending the orbit of Eris and essentially swallowing our entire solar system. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, in th- so in- it goes on and on about like the size controversy of V'ger and yeah, what it is and what it isn't. I'm looking at this review that I was reading that I showed you guys a picture from, and I think it says this. Hold on. Scroll. 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 Okay. 
five light years. That's over three times the diameter of the solar system, of our solar system. Five light years, or three times. So you could basically fit our solar system into five light years like three times. Hmm. Okay, well, Eric and, or not Eric, David and I have been reading about um, um, some alternate reality stuff. I wonder if the Kelvin timeline is trying to invade the prime timeline. Yeah. You know how, how, you know how I say there are some things that if they did them, I'm taking my shuttlecraft and I'm going home? That's one of them. Okay. That's one of them. Yeah, what if what if it's an actual reality that's trying to invade, trying to merge somehow? It's so lazy. I hate I hate multi-dimensional time crap. Because it's all it is, it's crap. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything. So I guess you're It's stupid and it's you're lazy. I'm not a fan of the upcoming stuff of the Marvel universe, I guess. <laughs> anyway, no, we're not getting in. We're well, not we're I not mean, getting look, into that. We're not getting yeah, into that here. Yeah. No, I the, the the coda books are are kind of interesting, but like I've been I've been riling about fixed points in time, like certain things that I think should just be fixed, no matter what dimensionally they are, because they're outside of the plane of linear time. Um, I I don't I I just don't like this cross dimensional. It's the same it's the same garbage with mirror universes. You know, that we always kind of like, ooh, they've got a mustache and they're evil. Great. Hmm. It, it, it just, it's it's like you can't, you can't come up with a better storyline or somebody new to deal with. Like, you can't develop a new character list. So instead, we're, oh, it's time. Time things. Oh, there's another True. universe that's coming to eat us. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just really get, I get there's too much time crap. Yeah. David, have a Snickers. No, it's too late for that. <laughs> All right. Well, whatever this is, I'm sure we'll find out as this unfolds. Hopefully, it's not a coughing um, uh, Tellarite that caused big old time dial spatial thing. I was also born on a dilithium planet. I sneezed. I sneezed. <laughs> They're never going to live that one down, I swear. They're not going to live it's that It's so down. unpredictable because all I do is sneeze all the time. I'm allergic to dilithium. I have seasonal allergies all the time. All right. All the time. All right. Zyrtec and Benadryl don't do dink for me. All right, let's let's get into the evaluation of this episode, guys. Let's, let's get out of here. Let's, let's, before this goes off the rails. It already has, dude. It already has. Yeah. All right, let's go into the Delta rating. So if this is your first time listening, Delta rating is where we um, assess the different aspects of Starfleet service in terms of command, such as leadership-type stuff, science, and, of course, um, engineering and other technical operationally kind of stuff uh showing up in this particular episode of star trek discovery so uh david why don't you kick us off with your uh delta rating well i think science and command are pretty at least fairly obvious for me um 
the the command is played out a little bit more like the original series than probably other series that we've seen. Everything's like talked about amongst each other, unless it's in the new bubble. Um, and, and I think Michael definitely did a better job of making decisions. And, and we've seen this this process a hundred times with the do I sacrifice uh, uh, you know somebody that I care about. I, I'm forgetting the episode, but when Picard uh, meets the piano lady. You know, and has to. You know, oh, yep, you got to stay on the planet, and you know, stay inside your bubble, or you know, whatever. So that's that's always there. But I I think it was worked out pretty good. Michael had a pretty good showing, and then obviously Saru was a huge part of why you know that fills out. Um, you know, sci- scientifically, I mean, they they worked through problems. They ran across the bridge. Everybody had their opinion. Bryce had his moment. Uh, so that's there. Um, and then as far as, as engineering, the, the only problem I have with engineering in this particular, uh, particular uh, iteration is that it's all the programmable matter. So it's not, it's not really, in my opinion, engineering solutions. Like we don't have a Scotty character coming through and, you know, just magically fixing it. We just have the guy with the pyro gun behind every wall, just shooting flames out at everything. You would <laughs> think that that might have gotten fixed, and that would be an engineering delta. So I don't necessarily know if I can specifically give that, aside from the fact that they they have the tether, I guess, and then the 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 hologram, the long range, like you know, uh, with the ability to like actually fix stuff holograms. So I guess I would give it the engineering Delta as well, just based upon that, I suppose. But I'm kind of a little bit dubious because it just seems like their solution is just programmable matter at that point. And it's not like they've invented that. They're just using yeah, it. Yeah. Like sure. programmable matter is like, it's like the magic thing. Like last week they're like, if you could just send over some engineers, the programmable matter, we can fix this for us. And, Oh, can you turn this this computer hologram into programmable matter and we can use it? It's like the magical substance that does anything. You don't need your Scotty engineer, you know, miracle worker anymore. And I don't know. I don't like that. It was kind of cool programmable matter when they first introduced it last season, but I'm over it. I really am over it. And, and by the way, her name is Lieutenant Commander Nella Darren. Um, ah, there the we piano go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can't remember everybody's name. Well, I mean, I I remember that name. Right? It's a unique name. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I'm right there with David. I was really impressed by the command. Like I've been, you know, we gave command last week. We were like, I'm not giving it to Burnham. I'm giving it to the Federation president. She did the command thing, not Burnham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah. no, I really, I think I, I, you know, I've been very critical of Michael Burnham's leadership skills and said, like, she's not fit for the captain's chair. But, you know, I feel like, you know, maybe she's going to grow into it. Hopefully. I want her to. And I said, I want her to. And I think, I think she actually did display some good leadership here in this episode. And I think just having Saru back, like the two of them have been through so much together and they have they do have a good work despite her insubordination last last season i do think the two of them have a good working relationship together and it's that familiarity of being together for so long and and i think it worked in this dynamic here um 
I think Saru was fantastic, and I want to see more of this Saru. And so I think Command, they did fantastic. Um, 100%. And science, yeah. Like, I mean, we were on a scientific mission to, you know, gather data about this anomaly. We were, we're doing science. It's like, so here I am doing science, right? <laughs> like, I lo- I, you guys don't like movie Avatar, but I'm, I'm a big fan of it. And, like, Jake Sully at one point is like, so here I am. You know, he's just a marine grunt. He's like, here I am doing science. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, here we are in this episode doing science, right? Get our techno babble. We're into this. We're collecting data. We're scanning and we're doing science. So, yeah, yeah, science. Good stuff. Um, yeah, so Saru was the standout for me. Um, Burnham was starting to make good decisions. Um, but, you know, if she would just stop whispering, I might like her a little bit more. Um, like, this is the only Star Trek show, guys and people in Listenerland where I actually have to watch with subtitles so I actually know what's being said. Like, otherwise, like, I could have it cranked up to 100 and still not hear a word that she's saying for whatever reason. Um, That being said, uh, I think that the leadership stuff is there. Like, you have, like, that really good dynamic like we've been talking about with Saru and with uh, Burnham um, throughout this episode. Um... Even the fact that, you know, with essentially how it starts with um, Saru being in the ready room talking about like mentorship, like uh, being mentored by Giorgio, uh, lover or hater, whatever. Um, I like that. Like the fact that we have like a little conversation about being mentored. That's cool. We have um, a conversation about like, you know, I, you were there for me when I needed you and I want to be there for you when you need someone to bounce ideas off of. So that was great. Um, great leadership opportunities there. Um, I did, I did enjoy a little kite surfing action and like uh, life saving hobbies. Um, that was great. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to give, um, I'm going to give them all like, why not? I'm feeling generous. I'm going to give, give all the deltas out because it, I mean, why not? Second episode. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's get, let's do this. So, uh, let's move on to, um, uh, very quickly, I suppose, the uh, numerical rating. So whatever your justifications are for that. So um, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being a dumpster fire, 10 being um, the absolute best trek, trek you've ever seen. So let's start with Eric on this one. Well, <clears throat> other than a captain's log, I think this has everything that you would expect from a classic Star Trek episode, right? We've got people talking through the situation. We've got a mission to investigate something scientifically. You know, we've got all the things except for a captain's log, right? Just, just give me one of those. Just give if you if this episode started out with a captain's log, I would be incredibly happy with what happened in this with this episode as a whole. Um, it's a market improvement over the first episode, right? I thought the first episode was just a jumbled mess and all over the place. And I think this episode really didn't even have a B storyline. I guess the gray and Adira was like the B line, but I think the tight focus 
really helped this episode. And I'm not over the moon in love with it, but I think this is a solid step in the right direction. I, I don't love the story of this anomaly, and I really think destroying Quajon in the first episode was a mistake. But David Ajala was fantastic acting-wise. We had all the Star Trek stuff. And so I'm happy. I'm legitimately happy from this week's episode, right? Not over the moon, but I'm happy. And I can't always say that after watching a Star Trek Discovery episode. So I, I'm just, I'm going to give it a seven and say I'm happy. Very good. What do you got, David? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was pretty happy with the episode as well. Um, there are definitely some, you know, still, still a couple of rough patches, but I think we're moving in a very positive direction. Uh, I don't know, you know, I, I maybe I just have to go back and do some rewatches and, and kind of start looking back at how people sort of were solving problems and so forth. Because sometimes, sometimes I watch this and it just, it, it kind of seems like it's like, can we just take this in a ready room or can we, you know, maybe put the bubble up or something? I don't know. Just, I don't know. It's, it's that weird kind of like, you know, family thing, you know, when you're here, your family in discovery. Um, but you don't need yeah, it, it, when you got family. Yeah, I guess. But it, it it was it was there was a ton of positive stuff here. Um, again, like the hierarchy stuff is still a little a little murky. Two captains on the ship and everything, but they seem to be working pretty well. So uh, I, I'm probably gonna go a little. Uh, I, I've I've actually kind of had a hard time putting a numerical rating on this one though because I, I like it, but I don't like when I go and shoot the moon type of deal. And the ratings on this episode and then the last episode have been exceedingly on, low, on but IMDb I think I think we're getting a lot of tro- I think we're getting a lot of troll bombing yeah, too IMDb, in that. <laughs> These two episodes, yeah, they're 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 legitimately bad. Um, but I, I I don't know if I can go as high as like eights. It's kind of one of those things where I have to wait and see a little bit more of what we're actually dealing with long-term to kind of see if this was really a turn the corner. I think I've felt like really hesitant about a lot of this sort of turn the corner stuff. Um, and it's, it's kind of, cause we talked about this in prodigy too, one of the episodes in prodigy. And I, I really hate being that hesitant because I think, I think if I weren't so hesitant, I'd probably put it like an eight one, but as it sits right now, I'm probably going to go and just put it at a nice, like, 7.8 and and be done with it. Okay. So, um, yeah, last week, just so um, everyone in Listenerland remembers, um, last week Eric rated the, the premiere episode of the season with a, a 5. David gave it a 6.4, and I gave it a 6.6, 6, uh, which gave us an overall... Um, average score for um, of a six for uh, for through the season four premiere. Doing quick math there. Um. So 
I got to watch this also um, with the season four premiere party. And um, so I hadn't watched it since, you know, that night. I think it was like Wednesday night when the day before it was supposed to drop for everyone else. And um, um, I watched it uh, just before we came on. So I was fresh and everything. And um, I don't know, it, it felt kind of dry to me. Um, like this episode, like it was a decent episode, but it was just kind of like meh to me for whatever reason. Um, like, like I said, in our discussion, I think that the strong points for this particular story were mainly book and Culber. Um, and I'm not too sure if I like where they're going yet. I mean, it's too soon to say. Um, kind of like what David's kind of talking about. So I think once we get to like, you know, by the fourth episode, I think we're going to be in a really good place to really know, you know, where we're, where we're at with the story. And if we're going to like the, tra- the trajectory of what the, the serialized story is for the season. Um, the number that I had in my head coming into this, um, and I'm going to upset, I'm going to upset David on this one. I mean, just like he was like kind of, you know, cussing me out under his breath last time. It's going to happen again. Um, at least I think he was. Ooh. Um, and the number that I, I'm given this week is actually a seven. Like seven was the number that I had coming into this. So just average for me. I mean, I don't didn't want to fail it, but I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was just kind of meh. And I'm not trying to diminish what... Um, what Eric or David were saying, but um, anyway, just a seven for me. And um, I'm hoping that things will get better. Um, I, I really want us to have a strong story. Look, um, like I want to have um, a good captain on every single Star Trek show that we have. Um, I think the one that we all struggle with, especially Eric, is um, Captain Freeman on Lower Decks. But I'm hoping that, you know, with what happened at the end of Lower Decks, that we're going to have some good character growth from her going into season three of that show, perhaps. I don't know. Um, it took a while for me to, you know, really like Cisco, but I love Cisco. Same thing with like Janeway and all the captains, for that matter. So I'm going to give Michael Burnham the benefit of the doubt that there's going to be some great growth opportunity, but we just haven't seen it yet. And I think when that happens, it's going to really, in my opinion, light a fire under the show and really do some great and amazing things like we expect, like we've come to expect from Star Trek shows in general. So that's end rant. End that. All right, everyone. Well, we're almost out of here, but um, per the huge, you know what's about to happen. We have us a Twitter poll. So here is the question for this week's Twitter poll. If you were hosting a game night and could only invite one of the following to attend, who would it be? Gowron, Martok, Kalis, or Gorkon? (laughs) I don't know if Eric's amused right now. (laughs) Say those names again. Gowron, Martok, Kalis, 
and Gorkon. Man, I feel like Galron would just stare at me with those eyes. And he'd be like, <laughs> glory to you and your house. <laughs> and I would just like, I don't care. Do whatever you want, Galron. <laughs> Can you imagine playing Uno with him at game night? You are without honor. <laughs> when you throw, slap him with a, a draw four, a reverse, and then a draw four again. <laughs> <laughs> well, but at least oh, okay. Lord. At least with Gorkon, you quote Shakespeare with him all night long. That's my That's answer. True. Yeah. Gorkon, okay. How about you, David? So, are we talking about like Emperor Kalos, or are we talking about like the actual deity Kalos? I don't know. I just put the name. There's a there's a huge difference, guy. I mean, come on. I mean, the emperor was a clone. Anyway, um, yeah. I, I mean, if it's the emperor, Kalos, what the hell do I have to talk to him about? He's not a real deity, uh, so that's how I'm going to play that. Gowron's a politician, and uh, he's also, you know, he's got the intense stare. He doesn't seem very fun. Um, <laughs> Gorkon always seemed like. I mean, he would potentially get boring. And Martok's the man. All right. Martok is great. So I'm going to pick Martok. All right. All right. So once again, if you were hosting a game night and could only invite one of the following to attend, who would it be? Gowron, Martok, Kalis, or Gorkon? In last place, with 8.3% of the vote, Gorkon. I know, Eric. I know. I know. All right. And then we with, um, why does it always happen? Like, this is kind of driving me nuts. Y'all, like, if y'all are listening to this, go vote in these stinking Twitter polls as this crap stops happening. We have a tie for second place, both with 25% of the vote. We have Martok and Kalis. Which means Gowron was the the number one choice for game night with forty one point seven percent of the those vote. Eyes staring at me during game night. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine playing like Pogs with with him? Po- playing Pogs with with Gowron or or Monopoly? <laughs> Risk. This is a warrior's game. <laughs> Oh lordy! Well, there we go. That's that's the show, everyone. Glory to you and your house. As we get out of here, uh, as always, guys, um, David, Eric, thank you so much for for joining me and having this conversation. One more again. Um, we'll keep it going with episode three um, next time. So, um, anyways, what did y'all think of the of the show? What did you think of um, of Anomaly? Did you like it? Uh, what did you rate it? Uh, what were your thoughts on like some of the leadership stuff that was being demonstrated? Uh, what do you think about like the development regarding Gray and bringing the Gollum thing back from um, Star Trek Picard and kind of incorporating that um, as part of this new storyline? Uh, let us know your thoughts. Connect with us on trtvpod.com and uh, uh, find out ways that you can support the show, that you can uh, just connect with us, learn more about us, that sort of thing. 
Uh, if you want to send us a note directly, you can op- open up Hailing Frequencies. Um, enter in trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. There's a three-minute limit before we explode into a black hole, so please be quick. Uh, finally, if you do want to mail us something, like some programmable matter or a privacy bubble, that'd be great. Make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas, 76098. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. And as we leave here, you always remember to boldly go and make it so.